Amen. Go and have a seat. Thanks, Toby. It is so good to hear everyone singing. I love that. And uh, actually, I feel like that song really sets up well. We're uh, sets up well where we're going this morning. You know, we just sang, "In Christ alone, my hope is found." And part of the reason that we gather together each week is to be reminded of that truth, to be reminded that our hope is found in Christ alone. It is found. You know, each one of us, you and me both, we are all hardwired with a longing for hope. We are all given this, this deep down desire, infused with this desire for hope. And I don't know if you've realized it yet or not, but we live in a fallen, broken world. <sighs> Newsflash! <laughs> and things are not as they should be. And because things are not as they should be, you and I, we experience pain. We experience suffering. We experience setbacks. We experience obstacles and complications. We experience the disappointment that comes when our carefully crafted plans just fall apart. Or when our health dips and declines. And then there's relationships. We experience all kinds of pain in relationships as well like losing the people that we love or friends moving away or when we're betrayed by someone that we trusted deeply or just the, the pain that comes from being misunderstood. I love starting sermons on such a happy note. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but this is the real stuff of life, is it not? And then if, we, if we're talking about hope, we need to be reminded that there is hope for the real stuff of life, for all these circumstances. And we gather together each week needing to be reminded that the hope that we long for, the hope that we, that we desire, it's not something that we have to go searching for. It's a hope that is found. And it's found in Christ alone, as we just sang. And this hope is the kind of hope that can cause us to rejoice it can cause us to have joy in the midst of our pain and our problems. And that's really where we're going today. We don't have a lot of time this morning, but I want to point your attention to uh, the book of Philippians. We're in chapter one. This is actually week three of our series through Philippians. And if there's anyone who is ever able to rejoice in the midst of hard, uh, hardships, of suffering and setbacks, it was the Apostle Paul. And as we've seen, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's doing it from prison. He's doing it from prison. He's, he's uh, in chains. And ever since the, the apostle Paul encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, his life was radically changed. And he gave the rest of his life to the preaching of the gospel and to planting churches. And Paul is probably... He's quite literally the, the greatest evangelist to ever live. I mean, he would show up to these cities filled with, with pagan worshipers and he would spend time talking with them and discussing and reasoning. And then enough people got saved as a result of that that by the time that he left that city to go to the next city, there was like a church that got planted. And he did this over and over. Paul, we could call him, a, he's a hero of the faith. He's church planter extraordinaire. And now he's locked up in jail. 
And think about what you would be feeling and wondering. I'd feel like I'd be asking God, why, what are you doing? This great movement has begun. Paul is on a roll. And why would, why would we allow him to get put into chains? I think I would likely feel, man, I guess Paul's ministry's over, or at least that he'd been neutralized. Or, yeah, I just, it, it's a huge setback. It's how I would view it. It seems like it would be a huge setback for the church. And I think the Apostle Paul, he knew that his friends had similar concerns. And so what we're going to look at today is, is this, a little chunk of his letter that he is, where he's responding to these concerns. And that brings us to our text for today. Philippians 1, we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. And I would love for us just to stand in the um, honor of God's word as I read this out loud. Verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, and we'll throw sisters in there too, <laughs> that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And God, I pray that you would drive that truth down deep into our lives today. Lord, we are all in very, um, we're all in different circumstances in our own lives. But Lord, I pray that this morning we would be set free to see the truth that our circumstances do not define us. Set us free this morning, Lord, and change us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm kind of a junkie for all things leadership. I, I, I really do. I love leadership. I love talking about it. I love reading about it. I actually sometimes like to lead. And one of the things that I came across a while back was from a book called Made to Stick, and it was this idea known as the commander's intent. And it's a concept that was invented by the army as a way of, of specifying, of clarifying what is that, the end goal, that desired end result for every operation. Because what the army found was that they could, they could come up and out, come up with a, a super detailed plan, outline every little thing, every little contingency, but <laughs> 10 minutes into the battle, it would be rendered obsolete. Because there's a, there's a saying that says, no plan survives contact with the enemy. There's no way to predict what the enemy is going to do. So imagine this. Imagine you're trying to uh, write instructions for a friend of yours who's going to play chess on your behalf. Okay, and let's imagine you know everything that there is to know about chess. You're a genius chess player, and you, you know your friend. You actually know the opponent pretty well. Uh, if you... And you, you try to write out detailed uh, descriptions for your friend, you're going to fail. Why is that? Because there's no way to know, to possibly know all of the moves. 
you can't possibly foresee more than a few moves. And the first time that the opponent makes a surprise move, your friend is going to have to throw out all of your carefully crafted instructions and just rely on her instincts. You know, the commander's intent is a clear, plain talk statement that captures that one thing that must happen. That one thing that must happen if we are to be successful. And what's beautiful about the clarity of the commander's intent is that when people know the desired destination that, that you're trying to achieve, they're free to improvise, especially when plans fall apart. And as you and I know, plans fall apart. Life doesn't like to comply with our demands. I wish it weren't so. But that couldn't have been truer for the Apostle Paul. Because I don't think it was on Paul's bucket list to be in prison. Like, I really want to go to prison. I really want to be in chains. I don't think that was his plan. But again, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Reality has a way of messing up our plans. And what we see here in this section is that of Philippians is how Paul clearly has a commander's intent. He knows what the ultimate win is. And it's something that his circumstances could not derail. What was that commander's intent? Well, at the end of the day, it's all about the gospel advancing. The gospel advancing is the commander's intent. And the gospel is simply just the good news that in the person of Christ, God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That Jesus has set everything between God and us right. Because we will live our lives trying to save ourselves. We're going to live our lives trusting in something. We're going to live our lives trying to save ourselves or Christ. And the gospel is the good news is that Jesus did it all. That it is finished. And so that message, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, which the gospel encompasses, that is what uh, Paul's commander's intent was, to, to see that advance. And so he saw all of his circumstances through the lens of the commander's intent. And when plans changed, he had to improvise. You know, being in chain, chains might have changed the plan, but it didn't alter the mission. It didn't change the commander's intent, namely gospel advancement. Because look in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, well, let me just pause there really quick. What had happened to Paul? Yes, he was in prison, he was in jail, but I think Paul saw everything in his life as a means of advancing the gospel. In a different letter to a different church, Paul actually provides kind of a summary of what he had been through. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, check this out. This sounds great. Watch this. He says, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. 
I think he was in danger. <laughs> I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. And I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Woo! Stop complaining, Paul. Jeez. You know, again, these aren't the kinds of things that anyone would ask for. But what we see in Philippians is that Paul's perspective on his circumstances was defined not by his level of comfort, but by how it contributed to the advancement of the gospel. You know, it makes no sense to rejoice in these kinds of things unless, unless you're viewing it through that lens of the commander's intent, which is gospel advancement. Well, how did the gospel advance? What evidence do we see from our text today? Let's look at this. The first thing that we see, the first result is that we see the, uh, the gospel reaching the lost. In verse 13, or 12 and 13, Paul says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul was not in solitary confinement. He had a guard that was with him 24-7. Yet the guards would take shifts and a new guy would come in. But imagine after, you know, over time, Paul's getting to know all of these different guards. And and. I don't think Paul's plan originally was, I want to reach the guards in prison. I don't think that was a part of his original plan. But God made things pretty interesting by ordaining that some of the most vile and cruel men were attached to the most persuasive evangelist ever. Paul literally had a captive audience. See what I did there? Think about this. He wasn't chained to them as much as they were chained to him. And because for Paul, the commander's intent was gospel advancement, although plans had changed, the mission would, it could and it would continue. So that's the first thing that we see is it's the gospels reaching the unreached. It's going to these soldiers, in this, these guards in this case. The second thing that we see is that it's encouraging the church. Verse 14 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And you would think that Paul's imprisonment would have put a little damper on things. And it would have caused a lot of the evangelizing efforts just to kind of be, okay, let's just go underground with that. But it's actually the opposite. The people drew courage from Paul's example and they laid their fears aside. Church, there, there's something in, incredibly powerful about seeing faith lived out in times of hardship, in times of adversity. And the way that we respond to the circumstances in our life, that will have an impact on those around you. And the question is, is does the, the way that we respond to hardship and difficulty, does that cause others to become confident in the Lord? 
One of the reasons I love and I, I really value uh, the community that we have here and the community that we do in life groups is because I get to see up close and personal how people respond to hardships. And people get to see how I respond to hardships. And I don't know about you, but I need constant reminders that God is present and that he meets us in our mess. That God is not, he's not just telling us, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, get it together, get it together. No, he's present, he is with us, he meets us in our mess. And I need, be, I need to be set free to see that my circumstances, no matter what they are, that they don't define me. And I need to be reminded that because I am in Christ, I'm never under the circumstances, but above them. And I need to be set free from my own slavery to the when-thens. You guys know the when-thens, right? When this happens, then I can be happy. When so-and-so finally approves of me, then I'll be content. When I finally get X, then I'll be able to rejoice. And I feel like living in the world of when-thens, it's just enslaving. Because it means our joy is always, or how we're doing, how we're feeling, is always contingent on the circumstances. And if our joy is contingent on our circumstances, we miss the opportunity to encourage one another. To have confidence in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances. And so we have an amazing opportunity to help each other grow in our confidence in Christ by the way that we respond in enduring our circumstances. And we do this by believing that God is in control. We just believe because God is in control, I don't have to be. Because God is in control, you don't have to be. And we do this by believing that he has a plan and a purpose for our pain. And because God is in it, nothing is wasted. And though we may not be able to trace God at times, it does not mean that we cannot trust him. So observing how Paul used the change in his circumstances as a fresh opportunity to to advance the gospel, that encouraged other Christians to do likewise. And that kind of thing is contagious. It really is. And so we've seen some of the results, the the gospel of the gospel advancing. First, it's, it's reaching the unreached. The second thing is that it's encouraging the church. Paul's example is encouraging them to be bold. But what can we make of verses 15 through 17? Paul writes, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what's going on with that? Well, it's true that there were some Christians were preaching Christ from goodwill and good motives, and that's great. And on the other hand, there was this other group of people who were preaching Christ. They're not heretics. They're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it out of envy and rivalry, selfish ambition, which to me doesn't really make sense, but it happens. And they were just, there were leaders in the church that were just jealous of Paul. And I can understand why. Paul was, at this time, has the great, one of the greatest minds in the early Christian church. No one came close to matching Paul's grasp of the gospel. You need to add that 
uh, add to that all the success that Paul had had, the long string of triumphs that he had had, where churches were being planted all over the place in new regions. He was known by many. And then there's this group of Christians who were just straight up jealous of him. But that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Hashtag pastors' conferences are the worst. <laughs> now, we all, yeah, everyone's got an opinion about who they like and what they don't like about so-and-so. I, so I have to admit, I've been kind of critical of the, you know, the televangelists that pop up on TV with huge churches and big smiles. And there was, there was a, a, a friend, well, someone I met, who shared with me that, this, that he was in prison and he actually got saved because a certain televangelist, well, who I will not mention, his sermons were being broadcast inside the prison. This guy sees, hears the gospel from this, and he gets saved. And I told him it didn't count. Oh, well. <laughs> Sorry, bro. No. I, like, that's amazing. And it just kind of gave me a little heart check of just, God is at work even when I don't agree with other people. And, uh, and that's okay. But there might have been some other reasons. There's a couple of things that why people were ups, upset or being maybe um, jealous of Paul or just being angry with him is that Paul at this time was very vocal and he could have been propelling Christianity into this public eye. And what that meant was if, this, if Paul's being persecuted, if he's being put in prison because of this, if he keeps talking and he's pushing our church into the public eye, persecution could happen to us. That's one thing that might have been going on. Another sentiment was that might have been possible is that people were looking at Paul like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Paul, the great and powerful Paul, hmm, in jail. How pathetic. It's so pitiful. Come to our church. Our pastors aren't in jail. Come to our church. So, whatever it was, I think Paul's response is just pure gold. He doesn't spend time defending himself or even condemning these Christians who were bad-mouthing him. Look at what he says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He cannot be derailed. Even though the motives of these other leaders are pure, are, are not pure, Paul looks at it and says, hey, Christ is being preached, and that is all that matters. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? If someone badmouths me, my inner lawyer gets activated. I'm, you know, self-protection is the priority a lot of times. My natural impulse is just to defend myself and my reputation, especially if I'm being smeared and slandered. But check this out. When we're, when we're focused on the commander's intent, defending our reputation ceases to be an urgent matter. It doesn't matter anymore because it's not about us. And what we see here is that the commander's intent of gospel advancement far outweighs Paul's need to be right or need to retaliate or fight back or protect his reputation and here's the thing that we need to see is Paul's ability to rejoice that the gospel was advancing in and through adversity. His ability to see that and to rejoice in that 
in and of itself demonstrates just how far the gospel had advanced into his own heart. Because you, you see, you and me both, the only way that any of us will ever be able to experience joy in the midst of hardship is by having our identity so utterly defined by who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that life is no longer about us, but about whatever God wants to do through us. I love how one author puts it. He says, the gospel frees us from the urge to self-gain, to push ourselves forward for our own purposes and agenda and self-esteem. When you understand that your significance, your security, and your identity are all anchored in Christ, you don't have to win. You're free to lose. And nothing in this broken world can beat a person who isn't afraid to lose. You see, the more that we realize that everything we need in Christ we already possess, the more that we, begin, we can begin to see all of our circumstances, not in terms of what we're losing, not in terms of what we're gaining, but in terms of an opportunity to serve others and put the gospel on display. As gospel advancement and Christ being preached becomes our commander's intent, what we consider a win won't be dictated by our circumstances any longer, but by what God wants to do in and through our circumstances. I'll close with this. I'll invite Toby and the guys back up. You know, Paul's circumstances, although horrible, led to and produced something wonderful. As we've seen, the gospel reached the unreached. The church was encouraged. Christ was proclaimed. And what this shows us is that God loves to use the worst to deliver the best. God loves to use the worst to deliver the best. The entire story of God using Paul's horrible circumstances to bring about a surprising result, that in and of itself is a microcosm of the cross. It's a small picture of what happened on the cross. You see, in the greatest twist of irony, God used death as the way to bring life. Jesus was killed so that we can live. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was stripped so that we could be clothed in righteousness. Jesus won by losing. The cross, a symbol of death, has become a symbol of life. In that horrific moment of darkness and death, it led to that ultimate moment of light and life. And this is actually what we celebrate in just a moment through baptism. It's how God has used death to bring life. The death of Christ and his resurrection and how that can be true for us. God loves to use the worst to accomplish the best. Not just once, but over and over. In your life and in my life, Let me ask you, what is God saying to you right now? I have to think in a room this size with this many people, that, I mean, there's so many different circumstances, so many different situations, so much pain. 
there's a lot of joy as well. We're all over the map, and where we are today isn't going to be the constant. Things are going to change. The plan, <laughs> the plan is not going to survive contact with the enemy. So what is your commander's intent? My prayer for all of us is that we would have just such a, be gripped by God's love for us and the gospel that it would, it would be the lens that we, that we see our life's circumstances through. And so may we all see our obstacle, obstacles as opportunities to express a faith that declares, Jesus, you are enough. You're my provision. You're my provider. You are everything that I need. And may we live lives through the ups and the downs in all of our circumstances that put God's glory on display. God, help us to know how to do that. Help us to know what that looks like. Thank you for being with us and for us. So let's all just respond right now and use this song that we're going to sing as a declaration of trust.